Well, good morning, South Shore. And good morning to friends watching online. Glad that you're all here today. Thanks so much. This is a great time of year. Praise God for December. I was thinking as it was probably the coldest morning I remember in a long time this morning. It's like, hmm, the car needs a little bit of time to warm up today. How many of you like to actually keep your car in for 10 minutes so you don't have to scrape? That was me this morning. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to scrape. I'm just going like, to let it idle in my driveway for a bit. Anyway, it worked, and uh, the car was warmed up, but I thought, I guess that's the end of our outdoor singing. We'll, we'll re- revisit that in, in the spring when that comes back, and I'm, we'll be very thankful for that. Exciting time of year. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 1, verse 26. We're going to be in that text today on this first message of our new series. Very exciting. We had a great, great seven weeks in prayer, praying big, and I hope you're still praying. And I loved what Blair just prayed about, that you're, you're praying through a prayer list. You're praying for people to come to know the Lord. And you're praying for us to become a praying church. Last week, we actually sent you out a document, the seven days of prayer. So hopefully you downloaded that. I've been using that. I've been praying that for us and for myself. Let's do that for each other. This is a great season. And maybe you have already got your decorations up or not. There's the November people. There's the people that know. Okay, it's November 1st. Out come the boxes and up come the trees. Any of you like that? Any of you? Good. You guys come to my house, all right, next year. Well, you're probably not going to be here next year, but if you were, I would give you pizza and you can help me with my tree. How many of you are like, yeah, no, like December 15th. Are you a late decorator? Any? Yes. All right. Maybe the rest of us are in the middle somewhere. Well, I'm kind of in the middle. But it's Christmas music time, Christmas decorating, and you probably would agree with me that Christmas is the most celebrated holiday around the world, but it's also the most misunderstood holiday. And, you know, we are pretty obsessed right now with decorating and buying and shopping and wrapping and baking. But we know there's something greater. And that stuff tends to fight with us in our minds and it tends to compete. And obviously, culture has distorted Christmas. It shapes us into thinking it's about something else. And so there's all this material madness, maybe a little less so this year, but just, you know, like the the shopping and you just feel the pressure and you're chest gets tight because, you know, you feel like I got to get all this stuff done. I got to buy this stuff. And then there's all the sentimentality. If you're watching TV at all, you see the commercials and you hear the little jingle bells and you hear pop, uh, FM pop radio songs, sentimentality stuff. And it's Winter Wonderland and stuff. And that stuff isn't all bad, but it's about something greater. And what is that something greater? Well, the something greater is that Christmas is supernatural. It's about a divine event and about a divine person. So much more than the gadgets and the tree being decorated. Amen? Christmas is about this thing that we call the incarnation, God becoming flesh, God invading the earth, God assuming a human nature and becoming like us, among us, with us in the person of Jesus Christ. Wow, that's exciting. It's very exciting. It's about the Lord of eternity, Jesus being born into this world, fully God and fully man to redeem a people for himself that he has chosen from before the foundation of the world. Just think about this. You were set apart from before the creation of the world. Christ knew he would come. Jesus knew he would come from ages past. This tops trees and gadgets. Yes? Yes. Speaking of Christmas, John MacArthur says this. He said, it is the most miraculous, the most compelling narrative in history. It's the greatest story of all as the Holy Spirit relates the dramatic story of Jesus Christ's birth. And we're in that story this morning. Woo! Those who truly celebrate Christmas do so by remembering the profound reality that God sent his only begotten son to die for the sins of all who put their faith in him. And you've probably heard 
that phrase that says there's a cradle and a cross. Uh, there's the manger and there's Calvary. And the manger is in the shadow of the cross. And as we think about the coming and the incarnation of Jesus today, we do so not absent or removed from his cross, his death. One contemporary songwriter invites us to intently probe this coming of God's Son. You've probably sung this song here. It says this, Come behold the wondrous mystery in the dawning of the King. He, the theme of heaven's praise, is robed in frail humanity. So short today, that's what we're going to do. We're going to behold the dawning, the coming, the mystery of the King. And what's what we're going to do? Our hearts and our minds are journeying together toward the hope of Christmas, who is Christ. It's Jesus, it's Jesus. Maybe you've had this experience before where maybe at Easter or Christmas, this, these are the times that I find it happening. So life is busy and you're doing X, Y, Z, and you go, oh, it's like Easter tomorrow. When did that happen? And, you know, or it's Christmas in three days. And the month has snuck up on us and the time has passed and the event is just taking place around the corner. You go, I have not spent any time thinking about this. I've not spent any time in my heart preparing for this. Well, that's what Advent does. It helps us to get ready. It helps us to celebrate this hope, the hope of Christmas, who is Christ. And we're looking, as uh, has already been said, in Luke's gospel this month, these messages. Today, we're gonna be in Luke chapter one, and for the rest of the month, we'll be in Luke chapter two. So, we are looking and asking this question in our series. It's called, Do Not Be Afraid. Do Not Be Afraid. That's important. It's important because we, if we were honest, we would admit that humanity is a fearful people. We're we are fearful. I've discovered myself and everyone else included is afraid of something and fear paralyzes us. What does fear do? It, it steals our joy. Think about the thing that you are afraid of, right? It just kind of uh, kind of chokes your, your breath a little bit. It paralyzes your faith. It steals your joy. What are we most afraid of? Here's a few things that came to my mind. There's the fear of rejection. Fear of rejection. Or maybe it's the fear of purposelessness. Will my life mean anything? Does it count for anything? How about the fear of poverty? If I do this, am I gonna be broke? If I say yes to God, will I be poor? What happens if I lose my job? Fear of poverty. How about the fear of failure? I can't do that. It's out of my, out of my league. I don't have the ability to do that. Have you ever felt that? How about the fear of the future? What if? How about fear of disease, fear of death, the fear of the unknown? I had con- conversations in the last week or so with some folks that are facing the fear of the unknown and just, they don't know what's gonna happen with work, with jobs, with locations, and it paralyzes us. What, what fear are you dealing with right now in your life? If you were to identify one, what's your thing? The reality is that fear reminds us that we're fragile creatures, that we're not all together. And the Bible, I love it, the Bible deals in reality. The Bible doesn't cover up our fears or cover up the human condition, but exposes it. But the Bible also confronts us not only with the fears that we face, but also the comfort and the presence of God. It doesn't tell us, when it says don't be afraid, it doesn't say deny your fears. It says surrender those fears to the Lord. Give them over to the Lord. And the re- most, most repeated command throughout the Bible, this is kind of an easy one for you, this was like a bingo card. The most often repeated command in the Bible is what? Do not, say it with me, be afraid. Do not be afraid. And this command to not fear is often followed by the promise of God's presence and his help. 
So when God says, don't be afraid, then he says, I'm going to be with you. Well, why shouldn't I be afraid? Because I'm with you. Well, why shouldn't I be afraid? Because he's going to help you. So just apply that to your fear right now. Don't be afraid. Well, why? Because the Lord says, I'm going to be with you in your thing. Well, why? Because I'm going to help you in your thing. Don't be afraid. Jesus is more than enough. And when we trust God and when we deal and face our fears, what we do is we hold on to God's promise. And then what happens is you get your eyes fixed on the Lord and on his promise and what happens is the fear, just like, you know, that snow, it kind of melts away and it goes away and it doesn't become that thing that paralyzes you. So listen to what I'm saying in light of Isaiah chapter 41. There's a, there's a command and there's a promise. Here's the command, fear not, for I'm with you. And actually we're gonna hear that that was said to Mary. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. God's promise. I will strengthen you. Here's the help. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So over and over again, if God tells us not to be afraid, it assumes the pervasiveness of fear throughout human history. We just take it for granted that it's here, but where did it come from? Where did fear come from? Well, let me tell you, it came from Earth's great disaster in Eden when humanity chose to disobey God and sin entered the world. And on the giant scale, what does Christmas do? Christmas deals with the fear of the ages. Christmas deals with the fear that came into the world because of the sin of humanity. Think about where we first read about fear. Adam and Eve sinned. They disobeyed God. And it says that Adam was hiding from God. God says, where are you? And he says, I hid because of what? Because I was, I was afraid. And so fear comes out of our sin, but Christ comes to deal with our fears because of his life and his death and his resurrection. And so he says, don't be afraid. I'm here, and the king is coming. And we have this longing in our hearts. We've been singing some wonderful songs this morning. And by the way, just as a side tangent, if you are on the email list, South Shore Connects, which is new and improved and updated and got some new features, one of those features is something called Set for Sunday, where everything that we sing on Sunday is gonna be sent to you on, I think it's Friday morning or Thursday. I think it's Thursday. And so you're gonna have all the songs that we're singing in your playlist in your inbox. So you can just take advantage of that. One of the songs that we love to sing, that I love to sing, that we're gonna sing at the end of the service, was written in 1744 called Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And it's a song that talks about the longing for us to say, God, would you make everything right that is wrong? Fix everything that's broken. God, return everything, Lord, to the way that they should be. So here's the words, come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. Listen, from our what? From our fears and sins, release us. The prayer, the hope, the longing, let us find our rest in thee, Lord. So what does this mean? How were the hopes and fears of all the years met in Bethlehem the night Jesus was born? Maybe I'll put it another way. Why don't we have to be afraid? Why don't we have to be afraid? Well, we don't have to be afraid because something greater than our fears has happened. Someone greater than our fears is here. Something that will overwhelm our enemies and something that will overcome our fear. And that something and that someone was the birth of a baby who was the promised king. The advent of the king is the end of our fears. Let's stand together as we hear this good news this morning from Luke chapter one. Follow along beginning at verse 
26. Luke writes, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. He came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, how will this be, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Go ahead and take a seat. And this morning, brothers and sisters, we don't have to be afraid because our king is coming. Here's our focus today. What do we learn about the coming of the king? What do we learn about the coming of the king? Who is this king? Here's five things that we're going to see in the text. The first one is this. He's a king who is coming to the earth. He's a king who is coming to the earth. What was the context of this? And I, I just love this, and you're going to hear this next week as Peter brings the word. There was a special time that Christ came. And what was the context? The context was the people of God felt crushed under the weight of Roman oppression. Since the promise that we remember in Genesis 3.15, the promise of the Messiah, that there would be a child born who would destroy the works of the devil, the people of God have been waiting for the revelation of who this would be. When and where and how would this rescue from evil come? For thousands of years, they were waiting. And following the exile, most immediately just before the time of Jesus, for 400 years, they waited for a word from God, for a sense of his presence, for a sense of his favor, and they continued to hope for someone greater who would get them out of the mess that they were in. Boy, doesn't that preach today. Who will get us out of the mess that we are in? It was, it is, and it will be Jesus. Amen. And we know that. But in those 400 years, there was only silence from God. There was no miracles. There was no angel appearances. Nothing seemed to be happening. 400 years is a long time to wait. Feels like God is silent. But then, things begin to happen, and according to God's perfect timetable, Galatians says, when the time was just right, things started happening, and God began to move. God was unleashing a supernatural work. There was a mystery that was being revealed like it had never been seen before. Heaven was stirring, and earth was about to be shaken and awakened to a new work of God. It started when God sends the angel Gabriel, a messenger to announce, not to Mary first of all, but to this priest Zachariah and his wife Elizabeth, as old as they were, 
this fantastic news that they were going to have a baby. Baby's name was to be what? Say it with me. John. And he, in the spirit and the power of Elijah, was going to be a front runner. He was going to go before Jesus to welcome and prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. God was getting ready to reveal something very special to the world, and all of the Old Testament expectations and hopes and dreams were about to take place in this time. Two mothers with two miraculous births were about to step onto the stage in one big story of God. Gabriel got to announce that. In fact, this is a little interesting point that back in Daniel, prophet Daniel, Gabriel was sent to give insight to Daniel in chapter 8 and chapter 9 about who this coming Messiah would be, even hundreds of years before coming. So Gabriel did that with Daniel, and then Gabriel got to actually deliver the message, both to Zechariah and then to Mary. Well, soon after that, when Elizabeth was six months pregnant, Gabriel appears again with another but an infinitely more important birth announcement. Woo! We love birth announcements, right? The big reveal. There's about to be a big reveal before there was Facebook. It was the most significant birth announcement the world has ever heard. It'll never, ever happen again like that, declaring the most significant event in human history. He was sent by God from heaven to earth to an insignificant little place called Nazareth in the region of Galilee, about 75 to 100 miles northeast of Jerusalem. It was in Gentile territory with just a few hundred people, and there were Mary and Joseph. This is the place that Jesus would grow up into adulthood. This was a place that was shunned by the Jews, and we know that because in John chapter 1, Nathaniel says this, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You've probably thought of a few cities or towns in your day, like, can anything good come from that place? Well, that was Nazareth. That was the reputation. And God had given Gabriel the exact GPS coordinates for his assignment, right down to the neighborhood, right down to the house. He knew where he was going. And there he found a young girl named Mary. She was between probably 12 to 14 years of age. She was from the tribe of Judah, from the royal line of King David. And What we know about her was she was very likely a poor, humble teenager who was betrothed to a poor carpenter whose name was Joseph. Betrothal isn't necessarily a word that we use in our culture today, but we would understand it's sort of like engagement, except it was much more binding and stronger as a commitment. It was the thing that was happening prior to marriage. And when you were betrothed to someone, you would be known as a wife and a husband, even though you had not had sexual relations. It was only broken by divorce. And we know that Mary was a virgin. We see that in the text. And she was expected to be pure until her marriage. God, in the presence, the person of his son, Jesus Christ, came to this earth. The king is coming. He comes to this earth. Second of all, he comes to the womb of a virgin. He comes to the womb of a virgin. That day, this day of this unexpected angel visitation would turn her world upside down. Have you ever had that where you had a knock on your door and there was someone standing before you like you go, what are you doing here? A surprise visitor from maybe out of town. In fact, I had a surprise visit from some friends from overseas once and they had a a guitar in their hand. They had come 
from overseas, and they had a gift. They were a gift themselves, and they had a gift of a guitar that they gave me. It was like, what are you doing here? Well, Mary had kind of one of those days, except infinitely more so. Her day started out like any other day. You know, you've got your routines. You wake up, you have your breakfast, you do the things that you're supposed to do, your chores. Mom and Dad send you on a little errand. And it's a normal day, it's an ordinary day, and then something mind-alteringly happens. What's that? An angel shows up. Kind of like not your regular routine, right? It's not every day that an angel stands at your door. This is what he says, verse 28. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Well, that's probably like us. Angel shows up. She was greatly troubled and confused. Now, it wasn't, she wasn't confused. The text says she wasn't confused because, like in other places, at the sight of the angel, they fall down as a dead person. Wow, this is awesome. This is scary. This is crazy. I'm fainting. I'm on my face. She wasn't troubled because of that. She was troubled because of what the angel said. She was troubled. An angel shows up, and he's talking to you, a young, obscure person living in an obscure place, and then he tells you, tells you something. He says, look, He says, you are going to have a central role in God's plan to save the world. Okay, so nobody even knows where Nazareth is. Nobody cares who I am. And you're saying that I'm going to be central in what God is going to do to save the world. So no wonder she was troubled. No wonder she was silent. It's pretty overwhelming in an unanticipated encounter with an angel. And he says, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. That was much more than a greeting like, hey, how you doing? Good morning. It's good to see you. It wasn't like that at all. That was Old Testament language that was used by God to a person who was going to have a very, very special purpose in salvation history. When do we see that? It was the kind of greeting the Lord gave to other people like Moses in Exodus chapter 3. What was Moses going to do? God was commissioning him, calling to be the deliverer of God's people to take them out of Egypt. It was the kind of greeting that God gave to an unexpecting man named Gideon. God calling him, raising him up as the liberator of his people against the Midianites in Judges chapter 6. So in essence, the Lord was telling Mary that there was special favor upon her and that she was chosen by God for a very important task. She's clearly a very special teenager. We know that she's deeply spiritual. We know that she's biblically informed. We see that just a few verses later in the Magnificat, her song of praise. It's amazing what she wrote for a teenager. Wow, I don't think most of us even combined could could do that. She was inspired by God. In her first dialogue, Gabriel speaks, but Mary's speechless. She doesn't say a thing. She's troubled because she saw the implications, right? She's trying to take it all in. She's thinking back to the Old Testament. She's thinking about it's all flashing before her very, very quickly. But Gabriel speaks again as if to say, let's start over. This time he discloses the details of God's plan and called upon her life and the child that she would bear. Verse 30, angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. Gabriel said these words that we talked about earlier, do not be afraid because God's favor is upon you. And brothers and sisters, I would just say that in Christ, because you know him, God's favor is upon you because of Jesus. Mary wasn't worthy of such a calling, but God's sovereign grace was upon her. She was just chosen by the will and plan and sovereignty and purpose of God. Don't be afraid. That was also the same word that was given to Abraham, called to go 
called for a very special purpose. That was the same word that was given to Joshua. What was Joshua called to do? To take a million people across the Jordan River into the promised land. Don't be afraid. She heard it. So she heard these Old Testament stories. She, she was thinking about Abraham, probably thinking about Joshua. And, and when you think of this uh, phrase, favor with God, where do you first see that in the Bible? It's in Genesis chapter 6. Noah found favor with God. So she's going, I'm thinking of Noah, I'm thinking of Abraham, I'm thinking of Joshua, I'm thinking of Moses, I'm thinking of, of Gideon. This is overwhelming. And this news would take her back 700 years before to Isaiah chapter 7. Let's flip in our Bibles. If you've got your Bibles open, turn back to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. All of this is going on in her mind, and she's thinking about this promise. This promise was that she was going to become the mother of the Messiah. The mother of the Messiah. This was the highest honor that any Jewish woman would ever aspire to, to be the one to bring forth the coming king. Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord will himself give you a sign, and behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and call his name Emmanuel. All right, so... She probably knew that scripture. She was a very, very smart woman, a young woman. She had heard God's word. And imagine in that moment, Mary's listening to the words of the angel. This is just starting to unfold to her. She's thinking through it. She's thinking about the promise. She's thinking about this long-known prophecy, this desire. And she's thinking that scripture, Isaiah seven fourteen, is about to be fulfilled in my Life. You realize in that moment, that's you. Isaiah was writing about you. 700 years earlier. This unknown virgin that Isaiah wrote about who's going to have a child is you. How are you going to feel? Brandon Crow writes this, the virgin birth is not a take it or leave it matter. This is a big deal. It's a big deal for Mary. It's a big deal. Doctrinally, it's a big deal for the church. The issue touches whether we believe in God's supernatural invention, excuse me, intervention in the world. It affects the biblical teaching on sin. It touches on the unique parallel between Adam and Christ, the plain meaning of Scripture, and the historic unifying creeds of Christianity. This was the promise. She was going to receive it, and Jesus Christ came to the world through her, through virgin birth. Let's just take a minute and talk about that. Jesus' birth was in distinction from all other children born naturally since Adam. Nothing like that had ever happened. And the virgin birth is essential Christian doctrine. We could also say and call it as well uh, virgin conception, teaching that Jesus was born apart from the natural process of procreation. He was supernaturally conceived in the womb of the virgin by the power of the Holy Spirit without a human father born of a woman, born holy, and born sinless. This is attested to both here in Luke chapter 1 and in Matthew chapter 1 and other places in the scripture. And this is essential for us because without it, there would be no union of God and man. And our Redeemer has come who is fully, truly a man, yet without sin. The virgin birth says that there is a substitute, a perfect substitute for us. One who is a man, fully man and fully God, the perfect man, the perfect God who died on the cross in our place that we could never do. God doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. 
The king is coming to the earth. He's coming to a virgin's womb. And third, he's coming to rescue us. The Bible is the story of God's rescue of salvation for a world under God's judgment. And the story of this rescue begins right back in the early pages of Genesis. There, we're told that when we decided to disobey God and go our own way, humanity rebelled, men rebelled. We preferred autonomy over obedience. And we received the consequences of God's divine judgment. There's no human way to repair this breach in our relationship with God. There's no way for us to atone for our sin. However, on the eve of that cataclysmic event, restoration was promised. God is a good God. He's a gracious God. And in the garden, we see the grace of God over and over again. God declared that there would be a son who one day would come, who would crush the head of the serpent, who had led humanity into misery. And the narrative of the Bible, the scarlet thread of redemption, follows through the pages of the Old Testament, leading up to this moment that we're talking about. People anticipating who the rescuer, who that redeemer would be. And across the millennia, the promised one was revealed to be an offspring of David from the tribe of Judah, a son of David. And God revealed, as we just read, that he would be called Emmanuel. This good news of the gospel, this proto-evangelion, as it's called, the first mention of the gospel in Genesis 3.15 was about to come to pass. And the moment was arriving, and the baby was born, and the son was going to be given, and his name was Jesus. Verse 31, you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. That was the unfolding. The curtains were opening up on the pages of history. Everybody had been waiting all of those years. This was the moment. Mary heard it first. Wow, what an announcement. Awesome. God was on the move. Jesus means the Lord is salvation. The Lord saves. The name Jesus, we would also understand as being uh, Joshua, which is, well, Jesus is the Greek version of the name Yeshua. We would understand that Joshua. And in the first century, Jesus was a common name like John or Matthew would be today. But Jesus was no ordinary child. For Matthew one twenty one says, he will save his people from their sins. He bore the name and he did the work He was the one who was fully God and fully man. He is more than a great teacher. He's more than a miracle worker. He's the savior of sinners who came to a lost world. There is salvation in no other name. And for the last 2,000 years, more people on planet Earth have known the name of Jesus than any other name. Billions of people are followers of Jesus Christ today. There's power, there's salvation in his name What a beautiful name it is, Jesus, we speak it. What a powerful name it is, Jesus, we speak it, we worship him. It's the name above every other name. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The Bible goes on to say in Luke chapter 1, 32, he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high and he deserves all the glory. The word great there, as you can imagine, you ever buy mega blocks for your kids, right? That word mega is a prefix. It means great. And if we're trying to describe the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Greek word says, he's going to be mega. He's great. And our language fails us to say, what's Jesus like? So we might say that he's magnificent or that he's awesome or that he's powerful or that he's glorious. And you can stack these words on top of each other to try to describe him, but they all fall short. Words can't define Jesus' greatness. Let me tell you this. 
His life defines great. His life defines great. His being defines great. Jesus' greatness is intrinsic to his very nature as God. We sing these words. Name above all names, worthy of our praise, my heart will sing. Do you know that song? Say it with me. How great is our God. How great is our God. Next time you sing that song, just think of the greatness. He's mega. He's great. He possesses, possesses the nature of God. He's the son of the most high. He possesses the essence of God. He is of the same essence. He has the title that refers to his position as the sovereign ruler of everything. He's the most high. He's the radiance, Hebrews says, of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This tiny, frail, vulnerable baby to be born was this great most high. Jesus is holy. He is sinless. He remained holy without sin his whole life. He is our savior. He is great. And he is the king who is coming to rescue us. He's coming to rescue us. Here's the next thing. He's coming to reign forever. He's the king who will reign forever. I think in our day, we would be safe to say that we need leaders. We need leaders. And probably at no time in human history have we ever wondered, is there anybody who will lead us well? Who is the man? Who is the woman? Who is the person of integrity? Who is the just, the righteous? Who is the person who is benevolent and selfless and a person of character who will come and lead us and guide us. That's the quest that humanity wants. Who will be that person? And Jesus Christ is the king. Look at verse 32. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. God intervened in human history to bring forth an everlasting kingdom ruled by an everlasting king. King Jesus is the one we worship. Jesus is the one that Isaiah wrote about in chapter 9. We sing about it, Handel's Messiah. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. He's the Prince of Peace. This Prince of Peace is ruling on David's throne. Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecy found in Psalm 2. We read these words in verse 6. As for me, God says, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. God knew that this king would come. This king is Jesus' son. He's the fulfillment also of a prophecy given to King David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. It says this. God spoke to David, says, David, you, you just got to hear this news. I will raise up your offspring after you. It's going to be someone born of you. Who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house from my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. If you, were to, if you want to take a note of that, 2 Samuel chapter 7, I believe it's verses 8 to 16, if you want to write that in your notes, you take the passage we're in right today in Luke chapter 1 and you put it against 2 Samuel chapter 7. The same things that were said to, to David were fulfilled and spoken again by Gabriel to Mary. And this Messiah was expected to be from David's line, from his family tree, Gabriel saying that this is going to be the forever king in a never-ending kingdom. It's not a temporal kingdom of this earthly realm, but it's God's kingly rule. And Jesus was the rightful heir to the throne of his father David. He would rule over the house of Jacob in all humanity in a kingdom without end. 
Brothers and sisters, let me say, not only does he rule over the world, he rules the world with truth and grace, says that song, but he rules in our hearts when we yield to him and surrender to him. The king is coming to reign forever. And finally, the fifth thing we see about our king, the king who is coming, is that he came to reveal God's power. Verse 34, Mary said to the angel, she's asking this question, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. So Mary asked this question, how is this going to be? Because I'm a virgin. Now, Zechariah asked a question also in Luke chapter 1. His question was not from faith. His question was from unbelief. He did not believe what Gabriel said. It sounds like Mary's asking a very similar question, but we know that's not, it's not the same way. Hers was not unbelief, but she just couldn't figure out how it was going to happen. She wanted to know, like, how's this going to take place? Zechariah was saying, Gabriel, are you sure? Mary, though, was trying to figure out this thing. She was trying to conceive of something that was inconceivable. How could a how could there be something that was a pregnant virgin? It's like saying, you know, there's a boiling hot snowball. Like these things just are paradoxes, they're contradiction of terms. And she was faced with that. Uh, she couldn't conceive of this happening. No pun intended. But her virginity was not an obstacle to God's plan. Uh, this miracle would happen regardless of what was happening on a human level because it was happening by the power of God. And we just read, for with God, nothing is impossible. Wow, it's a great promise for us. She would be overshadowed, and that word overshadowed was the same word that was used in the transfiguration on the mount when Jesus changed, his appearance changed, the, the glory of the God overshadowed them. And he was changed and transfigured before them. The power of God, the, the glory of God came upon them in that moment, and the glory of God would come upon Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this same God would create this life, this miraculous, mysterious life in her womb. And as if to reassure her, she was believing, but as if to reassure her, this is what the Gab angel Gabriel said. He says, I'm gonna give you a sign. And you might appreciate some of what I'm gonna tell you, confirming that there's a miraculous thing happening, and I'm gonna tell you why it is. Uh, this is gonna be a shock to you, Mary, but your older relative, Elizabeth, who was barren, who was infertile for all these decades. Mary, you're not gonna believe this, she's six months pregnant. So you should go and see, go and see for yourself. Because Mary, this God who acted powerfully in Elizabeth's life, this God can do anything. And this sign would take Mary back to Abraham and Sarah. And the miracle that God did, nothing is impossible with God. Is anything too hard for the Lord? The answer is no, nothing is too hard for the Lord. We see that in Genesis 18. God still does miracles. God still shows his power without limits. Nothing is impossible without God. And this king is coming to the earth, to a virgin's womb to rescue us, to reign forever, and to reveal his power. This is who our king is. This is who our God is. How do we respond to this king? What do we learn from Mary that helps us to understand what our response might be? Verse 38, Mary said, Behold, okay, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. 
this beautiful, beautiful response, and the angel departed from her. And because of Mary's obedience, her world and our world would never be the same. Her obedience changed her world and our world forever. Her response for us, brothers and sisters, is exemplary, courageous, demonstrating how we ought to respond to the call and the will of God. Mary would have been familiar with yet another Old Testament birth story and for Samuel, Hannah's prayer, wanting a baby and receiving the miracle birth of her son Samuel. And like Hannah, Mary humbled herself before God and said, Lord, I will be your willing, humble servant. She said that she would belong fully to God. She would show full obedience, even though it, saying yes to God put her in a very difficult situation, a situation that would uh, be with a lot of cost. Why is that? Well, because if she says yes to God, something's going to be true of her. She's going to be a pregnant virgin that no one else is going to believe. And as a pregnant, unwed young woman, pregnant before marriage, her life and her future, her marriage, were going to be in jeopardy. This could cost her greatly. It could cost her her marriage. It could cost her, and it, it did cost her her reputation for her whole life. And if things had gone as bad as they could have gone, if she was accused of adultery, it could have cost her her life. But she leaves that with God. And she trusts God and she says, Lord, I'm your servant. Whatever you say, Lord, let it be to me as you have said. She was the, the Lord's servant. Her life was at his disposal. She said, God, whatever it is, whatever it takes, Lord, here I am. Take my life. Use me as you will. And we know that she obeyed and trusted God, surrendering her life to the work and the will of God, giving him permission, listen, to do whatever he wanted with her. Even though she had no frame of reference about how it would happen or what it would mean. She was going to carry God's son, bringing him into this fearful and dark world, he who would conquer that fear and defeat the darkness. That's how Mary responded, brothers and sisters. So how should we respond this Christmas 2020? I think God would say to us today, don't be afraid. As you think about your response to the Lord, don't be afraid. The king has come and he's come to us, to us who are bitter and broken and fearful, maybe unfaithful. Is that you today? Come, don't be afraid. Come and taste of his love. Don't be afraid because we have a king. Our king's name is Jesus. He's a forever king. He's a forever ruling and reigning king, and he's come to save us. And God treats you as the object of his favor. Wow. Children of wrath becoming objects of favor. He's the great and holy king, the sinless, the saving, the exalted, the reigning, the eternal king. We don't have to be afraid. What did Mary do? First thing she did was she believed him. God's promises are true. She believed the word of the Lord. Lord, we say what you say, I will believe. I will trust your word. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid to receive him. See, God accomplishes his purpose through willing servants who open their lives to him. In, a, in one sense, it's, it's saying, Jesus, I need you as my Savior. I open my life, Lord. Be Lord of my life, Jesus. I believe in you. Save me. But as believers, we also say, Lord, we receive you. God, we receive your, your plans, your purposes, your work. Lord, take up residence in me and do what you want in me and through me. And third, we say, the Lord says to us, don't be afraid. And so we say, Lord, I will yield to you. 
And God works powerfully today in those who will trust him. And so we say, Lord, I will submit myself to your rule. I yield my life to your plan. And before, it was G- before Jesus, it was my will be done. And now in Christ, we say, Lord, your will be done. God, in me and through me. Born thy people to deliver. Born a child, yet a king. Born to reign, just like Mary. Born to reign in us forever. Jesus, reign the throne of my heart. I believe you. I receive you. I yield to you. Lord, reign in me forever. And now, Lord, thy gracious kingdom bring. South Shore, Advent 2020. Don't be afraid. The king has come. And he's coming again. And his name is Jesus. None is greater. None is higher. None is stronger. None is more worthy. None is more needed. Believe in this king. Receive this king. Yield to this king. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, thank you today for the privilege of talking about your coming, of announcing again this good news of our King who is here and who is coming again. Father, we praise you for the gift of your Son and we marvel at the mystery and the majesty and the wisdom of the plan of God of ages kept secret until that day that Gabriel came and spoke to Mary revealing it in the sight of all humanity. This was your plan. This was your Savior. This was the rescue. And we worship you, Lord. We praise you, Jesus. We give you all the glory, highest name of all, great, holy, saving King that you are, Lord Jesus. We worship you now. Amen.